This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grow New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, the culture, and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to two, episode 211 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have another pre-tale, one of the rave scala of the great epic of Irish mythology, the Cattle Raid of Cooley. This is not a tale of a fight between Connacht and Ulster, but of a fight between Connacht and the southern province of Munster. This is the tale of Darte's cattle. But first, if this is your first time listening... Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Have a listen to this episode. This is a good uh, sampler of what we do over here at Fireside. And if you enjoy it, why don't you make your way back through, possibly even as far back as episode one over four years ago, and see what we've been building up to over the Fireside journey. And if you're a returning listener, you're sick of hearing that, but thank you so much for your continued support. Uh, there are many ways you can support me and this podcast. You can follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Or share this on your stories. Share this with people who you think might like it. Spread the good name of the podcast. Uh, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you're not on social media and you want to offer any thoughts, queries, questions, or if you just want to say hello. I enjoy hearing from each and every one of you. And if you want to support the podcast, you can also buy my book, my poetry collection, Garden Sea, A Neomyth of Home, which is available in paperback uh, from the Headstuff website or on Kindle version over at Amazon instantly. But we can ship the paperback all over the world. I'm just after sending uh, in the last week, sending copies of Garden Sea over to the U.S. again uh, to Iowa. Uh, to Iowa and to Kentucky, uh, which are two new destinations for Garden Sea to be sent to. So I hope they're going off to very happy homes. Thank you to those who have bought them and thank you to all, uh, everyone who has bought it over the course of the last year since the book's release. Um, the final way you can support the podcast is, of course, over at Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com. Wherever there's a little as five euro a month, although you can pay more. If you want, you can support the podcast and gain bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And those are the hard sells out of the way. Uh, it's very good to be back recording. Uh, I am back in Ireland um, for, certainly for the foreseeable, um, for definitely over the summer, of course, I'm back um, back writing and recording the podcast and uh, finishing off uh, the novel that I've been working on for the last two years. I'm in the final editing stages of that and we'll um hopefully then be starting to send it off and um to 
to be further edited and uh, hopefully lead to a publication. Um, so that's that's the current main thing. Um, and then otherwise, uh, I'm playing a lot of music and doing a lot of literary tours around town. So if anyone is visiting Ireland who listens to the podcast over the course of the summer, you can catch me in uh, the Temple Bar pub. Um, I'm there every week, multiple nights. Um, you can come on the Dublin Literary Pub Crawl if you want to say hello and get, get a great tour of the city and about the literature and culture therein. Um, so I should be around. I'm not running away again on my travels for at least a while anyway. I don't think famous last words. Um, but it's good. It's good to be back. It's good to be in one place for a little while. Um, as I've said a little, this this year so far, these last few months have been uh, very, very difficult. And um, there's been a lot of uh, stuff going on in my personal life, which I will not bore you with again. Um, but getting through through all that now and uh, pouring myself into the the work which I adore so much is uh, is always the best healing process for that so I'm very grateful for it all and grateful for you all for listening but the story for this week is another one of our cattle raid tales which just keep giving more and more fruit which is fantastic to have discovered a whole new world of tales around this great story that we had covered like three years ago on the podcast and that I've known all my life is incredible to find these new characters and to expand this world and this patchwork quilt of Irish mythology is incredibly rewarding. And uh, this this story is no exception. And it's a new angle to the, the greater epic and the onslaught of war that was the fight between Connacht and Ulster over the prized cat, the prized bull of Cooley that led to the longest and bloodiest war that the island had seen. Uh, so we will chat more about it afterwards, of course, but this is the tale of Darte's cattle on Fireside. <laughs> Darte's Castle In the proud southern Irish province of Munster, there lived a king named Yoho Bay. This chieftain had in his care forty fosterlings, all of them sons of the multiple kings of Munster. And to nurture each one of these foster sons to adulthood were forty milk cows. One day, Yahoo Bay received two messengers at his fort. They had brought a summons from King Alil of Connacht. It was strange for a Munster chieftain to receive a summons from a king of the western province of Connacht. But Yahoo Bay was not naive. He had heard the whisperings and rumours of war. Connacht had declared war on the northern lands of Ulster, Something about Queen Maeve of Connacht stealing the prized bull of Cooley. Yahoo Bay knew that Alil and Maeve would be looking for allies, but he would have no part in a Connacht war. He had his own tribe to consider. Celts were like this. Nevertheless, Yahoo Bay did not want to make an enemy of Alil, and so told the two messengers, Tell your king I will meet him at Crohan Fort in a week's time. That night, as Yahoo Bay lay asleep in bed, he was visited by two figures, both young in appearance, one male and one female. You are most welcome, said Yahoo Bay. Do you know who we are? 
said the woman. Where have you ever seen us before? Yahoo felt he did know the mysterious figures, but couldn't place either of their names. He also didn't want to insult the spiritual apparitions, and so said, I feel as if we three have always been near to each other. The woman said, True enough, you have been close to both of us, Yahoo but you have never come face to face with either of us. This was all getting very cryptic for the Monster King, so he asked, Where have you come from? We have come from the Fairy Mound. And why have you come here? To give counsel that will lead to honour and renown to you at home and abroad. Well, counsel would be very much appreciated. The mysterious figure went on. We know that you have received summons to King Alil at Crohan. We have come to offer you assistance. Fifty black horses shall ride under you and your troop. Each will have bridles of gold and silver, and each rider will be adorned with the weapons, armor, and equipment of the she. Ride out with your forty foster sons for Crohan. And why are you helping me? asked Yahube. Because you are valiant, and you will aid the defense of our country and soil. The next morning, Yahoo rose and mustered the forty fosterlings of the kings of Munster. As the fairy folk had promised, outside were fifty magnificent black horses that did not come from Ireland or any mortal land at all. These were the horses of the she and each was adorned with gold and silver, with silken rope and soft leather saddles. In the saddlebags were velvet uniforms, armor, swords, and spears for the host to wear. Dressed and fit to ride, King Yahube and the forty fosterlings rode for Connacht. King Alil saw the host approach, and asked who this remarkably dressed and impressive army was. He was told, that is Yohube of Klug in Munster. He is answering your summons. The king and fosterlings were welcomed at Crohan Fort for three days and three nights of feasting and entertainment. Why have you invited me here? Yohube asked Alil after a hearty amount of wine. Pleasant though it is, and fine a host as you are. I have brought you here to ask you a favour said Alil. I thought as much. What favour is that? Well, particularly heavy is the head wearing my crown at the moment. War is a terrible business, as you know, and I am tasked with feeding the armies of Era in our fight against the Ulstermen. I am not asking you to fight, but I am in need of cattle. Cattle. Always cattle. Cattle were wealth. Cattle were power. I do not own an abundance myself, said Yahube. I have forty fosterlings, all sons of kings of Munster, all of whom I have been tasked with raising to adulthood. Each prince has but one milk cow for sustenance. Myself, I have seven times twenty cattle, which are back in clue, guarded by fifty loyal men. These cows feed my entire clan. 
Let me have them, said Alil firmly. A cow from each farmer on your lands. In return, you will have the protection of the armies of Era. War is coming, Yahubei, and it is a war that we are going to win. But we can only protect our allies. And if you do not aid in the war effort, I cannot protect you from Ulster. What choice did Yahubei have? Very well. If you can guarantee our protection, Connacht may have our cattle. After three days and three nights of drink, food and song, Yohubei and the forty foster sons left Crohan to return to Munster to collect his cattle. But on their way there, the Munster men were intercepted by an army from Mayo in the west of Connacht. An army of 140 men, more than twice that of Yohubei, with their strange black horses and decadent dress, the Munster army looked like enemies to the Mayo men, and an attack began. The shimmering brand-new weapons of the Shi glistened in the hands of Munster fosterlings, but ultimately the forces of Mayo triumphed, and Yohubei was slain, surrounded by his forty fallen foster sons. When word reached Munster of the death of all of their crown princes... It was said another eighty died of sorrow. But back in Crohan in Connacht, as Alil slept in his bed, the same bed he shared with Queen Maeve, it was a conversation in this bed that had started the whole bloody war with Cooley. But that night, it was Alil who had a vision. A young woman and man the same two spirits who had visited Yahubei. But of course, Alil didn't know that. Nor was the king of Connacht as coy or polite as the Munster king had been. Who are you? Alil asked. We are victory and defeat, said the woman. Well, victory is always welcome here, said Alil. Defeat has no place in Connacht. You will know victory in every form, said the woman. What shall I do? asked the king. You must first seize the cattle of Darte. She is the daughter of Yahubei, and so has inherited all of the cattle and milk cows from him and his fallen fosterlings. Darte, as it happens, is also in love with your son, Orlam Macalil. If the prince rides for Munster, Darte will welcome him and give him her heart and all she possesses. Surround Orlem with the valiant troop of forty sons from forty kings of Connacht, and I will adorn them with the same fairy arms that the dead fosterlings of Munster once wore. At this, Alil became suspicious. If you armed Yohubei and made him such promises... Why would I trust you? Because Yahubei did not question us. He had never known victory or defeat, but he had always been close to both. We came face to face with him and promised him fame and renown, but not victory. This we promise to you, King of Connacht.
The she are treacherous, especially to mortals. But Alil believed in victory, and the next morning fetched his son Orlam MacAlil, gave him charge of forty sons of Connacht, and sent him on the raid for Darte's cattle. But victory and defeat had made another visit the previous night. This time to Corplea, a king of Munster and father to one of the forty fallen fosterlings. Who are you? the Munster king had asked. We are the gathering of hosts and destruction. The gathering of hosts is always welcome in Munster, said Corplea, but destruction is an evil thing. You will not know destruction, said Victory, but you will kill the sons of nobles and kings and avenge your son, Yahubay, and assure glory for all of Munster. The sons of Connacht come to steal cattle from your countrymen. Ride out with one hundred and forty warriors, and the honour of Munster will be preserved. At the ninth hour of the following day, Orlim MacAlil and forty sons of the kings of Connacht rode for Munster. When they arrived at the fort of Darte, formerly that of her father, Yahubay, the princess of Munster was overjoyed to see the famed and beloved Prince Orlam. I am so glad to see you here, Prince, said Darte. We are glad to be here, though it is dangerous at the moment for Connacht men in Munster. Princess, will you ride away with me to live in peace at Crohan? Of course, said the princess. I have loved you from afar for so long. Well, come down at once. I'll bring all of your cattle with you. Darte summoned the forty milk cows and fifty heifers she had inherited. Their prize secure, the first of the sons of Connacht rode off with the herd. Orlam and Darte rode behind with the remainder of the army. But before they could reach the border of the province, Corplia and his army of one hundred and forty Munster men intercepted the warriors of Connacht. Munster, having the larger host, butchered the heroes of Connacht all except for Prince Orlam and eight of his personal guard. Darte, daughter of Yahubay, was one of the first to fall, caught in a tragic misfire in a siege with the warriors of her own province. But the cattle made it safely back to Crohan Fort. So in the end, everyone won and everyone lost. Yahubay earned his name and fame, but lost his life and the lives of all of his foster sons. Corplia successfully avenged Yahubay by slaughtering the princes of Connacht, but killed a princess of Munster in the process. Alil got almost everything he wanted, cattle, bloodshed, his own son to survive, but that son had just lost his new love. But of course, the only real winners of this story victory and defeat. Victory and defeat which go side by side, hand in hand, face to face. For victory and defeat are the foot soldiers of the Morrigan, the goddess of battle and war. And the Morrigan only wants one thing. Death. To be continued. Oh,
Hi, I'm Neve Kavanagh. And I'm Gerard Farrelly. And we are the hosts of Agony Rants. We have been friends for a long time, and on Agony Rants, we do what we've always done. Talk about people behind their backs and make suggestions on how they can improve their lives. No, we cheer them up on Monday morning and help them with their problems. By meddling in areas in which we are dangerously unqualified. Why don't you join us each week for a new episode? You'll find us wherever you do your listening with special bonus content for subscribers on headstuffpodcasts.com. Agony Rants, out now on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And that is the tale of Darte's cattle on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. The big thing that immediately jumped out to me about this story, because again, adapting a few of these now, um, there's about between 10 and 13 in all, I think, I think of these rave scale of these pre-tales to the Ulster cycle and the cattle raid of Cooley. And so when you read a few of them, you're naturally starting to expect some of them to be more similar than others because there is a huge amount of overlap in folklore and mythology of very similar tales or different versions of the same story. So sometimes you can find a story with different names that turns out to be the same tale. Um, but of course, every time you are doing, especially for me doing this podcast as long, I'm always looking for something different, something, just even if it's one thing that's different in each tale, if these are going to be all tales about, you know, how an army is mustered for battle and how everything is put in place. Um, I w- always look for one other aspect in them. It's some. It usually comes, doesn't always come. Sometimes there might be nothing new in a story and it won't affect the story at all, but in general, that's what I look out for. And there's two aspects in this. The first one, uh, which is more minor, is the idea of more the greater political ramifications of war in this case. So we have a monster featuring prominently, which is unusual because this is very much a war between Connacht and Ulster, between, well, really between Queen Maeve and King Alil and the armies of the Red Branch Knights of Kunkabar Macnassa and of for the prized Bull of Cooley and ultimately against the great warrior Cuc Cullen. But the entirety of Ireland was brought into this fight. Most of the rest of Ireland fighting alongside Connacht. Even parts of Ulster fighting alongside Connacht through the exiled King Fergus MacRoke and his exiled sons of Ulster. So you had armies and warriors from all four provinces fighting against Ulster. Which brings us back to something I discussed a long time ago when we were covering Cúchulainn properly, which is one of the most interesting things about Cúchulainn as a symbol is that in the north of Ireland, Cúchulainn is used by symbol as both sides, both polarities of the political coin. Uh, so to to the Fenians, um, Cúchulainn has always very much been a symbol, especially associated with the 1916 Rising, um, most notably in the window of the GPO where that rising was fought, now currently holds a statue of the dead Cúchulainn and is seen as this symbol of dying in battle and martyrdom and young lives lost and heroism and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but in the north, in the, the the loyalist side, on the other side of the coin, they see Cúchulainn as this Ulster hero who fought for Ulster against the rest of Ireland and against the united forces of the rest of the country. So it's very interesting because he is very much both those things. And um, that's an incredible 
power and influence dangerously so often that um, mythology and folklore can have because it is so easily symbolized. Um, but so we have a monster, a monster dog in the fight here through Yahoo Bay, who is summoned to Alil, and Alil it doesn't even ask him for support in battle. He just asks him for cattle because he just needs more and more cattle. Cattle are power, cattle are wealth, and he needs to feed the armies and sustain the armies in this long and bloody war ahead. And Yahoo Bay basically gives him everything because Alil just promises him protection because no one knows which way things will go in war. So he goes out um, and is tragically killed by some male men who, again, very, very Celtic Celts were really, really bad at uniting with each other, even against common enemies. They were very, very disparate. You kept in your clan. You didn't even really keep in your province. The The province division was more of a, a later thing, kind of more of a colonial thing, because we had like a fifth province at that point. Meath was its own province where the Hill of Tara, where the High King sat. But High King was very much a ceremonial position. So even amongst Munster clans, there would not really have been much loyalty, hence why there are so many kings. Historically, that is why Brian Baru is considered to have been so significant, because he was one who was able to unite Celtic tribes and the last and really the only ones to ever do that against the Vikings. But even at that, the Vikings also had Celts on their side, and Brian Baru enlisted Vikings against other Vikings. So it's very, very not black and white. And so we have King Alil uniting as many forces as he can, which is very difficult. But then when Yahubei rides out and he's in this finery that has been gifted to him by these fairy spirits embodying, embodying victory and defeat, whom we'll come back to, they encounter this male clan who you would think would just be supporting King Alil. But Mayo is a very different county um, and very different land, even if it now comes under the same province as we would call it they would have very much need to have been recruited themselves and they wouldn't know who was friend or who was foe and seeing this strange dress would have implied that this was an enemy and they wiped Yahubei and his fosterlings out um i should say at this point as well this was a shorter story on the page and in a thing that happens rarer with the myths it happens a bit more with the folktales I had to, not even had to, just it very naturally happened. I was able to flesh this one out a bit. I had to do a bit of connecting the dots. This was quite a dense, even a short, even though it was short, it was quite a dense story to get through because, and I hope I, I endeavor to make this as clear as possible because especially to outside listeners outside Ireland who might not be as familiar with Connacht and Munster, um, to know who's fighting who and whose side are we on now and it's a bit... Greeks and Trojans, like Helen of Troy. Helen of Troy is Greek, you know, and it can be a bit tricky sometimes. And it was very dense and tricky to decipher. Uh, So I hope I was able to make it clear who was who and who was fighting on what sides. Um, In fairness, the confusion and the malaise is kind of part of it, that it is just chaos, which seems to be ultimately what victory and defeat want. And that brings me to victory and defeat. Victory and defeat really made me, these were the thing that really sparked my interest in this story. The politics and the featuring of Munster and just kind of being in the a different aspect of this very specific world was interesting. But having physical embodiments of concepts or spiritual embodiments of concepts such as victory and defeat was something that I hadn't really encountered in 
Irish mythology before. It's not uncommon in ancient Greek drama, uh, in Prometheus Bound, I think... Uh, strength and honor are two characters that could be around there i think strength is definitely one of them but that crops up a bit there but it's unusual here but what i love about it is it really reminds me of the tarot and of these physical and these personifications of concepts like justice and temperance and strength and i wouldn't be I wouldn't be a believer in tarot, but I am very fascinated by it. I adore the cards. I adore the imagery of them and the history behind them. And I enjoy tarot readings because even if you don't believe necessarily in a, in a higher will of fortune telling, they raise questions that can be very interesting ways to look at your life. And they were hugely, hugely helpful when um, I was writing my poetry collection and they've actually been featured in the novel that I'm writing at the moment in a chapter I was editing today. Um, so there's something I, I do like to revisit. And I, I said mostly just the, the imagery of them, the very, very classic Rider Waite imagery going back to the late 19th century um, is endlessly um, inspirational and really stimulating creatively. Um, and we get, I get a feeling of that kind of tarot influence with victory and defeat being personified as these fairies and it was ultimately my decision um or my addition but it, it fits too well for it to not have been true um in the context of the story at least that victory and defeat would very much be the foot soldiers of the morrigan because the morrigan is the one who rules overall and she is the one who decides who is going to live who is going to die who is going to win who is going to lose she decides who will be the victor and who will be defeated and so it would imply that these victory and defeat are either her herself or an aspect of her or they are her mere foot soldiers because that was one of the great conflicts between the morrigan and ku cullen was that ku cullen kept defying her by just not dying and she tried everything to seduce him to make him mortal by making him eat dog which he had sworn a, a gasa blood oath never to touch she did everything and of course she does get him eventually um and when he is dead on the rock it is the morrigan landing on ku cullen's shoulder pecking at his corpse that alerts the old the um the forces of Connacht that he is in fact dead and not just standing on a hill on his own so yeah it was victory and defeat that really um, brought this story together especially because they're so prominently featured and they're playing every side against each other so you have them first appearing to Yohu Bay and I did like I adapted this naturally but I looked very closely at what the original text was all the links I'll put the link to the source it's a very old book from the uh, 18th century um, called the the book of romantic the Irish book of romantic tales or something um, but the link is in the description it's the same one that has been from most of these adaptations of these rave scale because they're quite difficult to find sources for and uh, I was spoiled really with all of the sources I was able to have when adapting the thorn because you've got Thomas Kinsella's masterpiece, you've got Kieran Carson's incredible adaptation. There's so many sources online and articles and reviews and everything. These stories are very, very hard to find and for hard to, even harder to find uh, discussions or multiple versions of, which I love because I love getting to do a bit of digging uh, and I, do, I love a bit of uh, treasure hunting. And it also is nice 
to be this late in in the podcast and this far into the journey of the podcast and still be discovering stories like this because there might be other podcasts there as I say, there wasn't really when when I first started, but there certainly are other podcasts on Irish mythology or folklore now um, that may do a lot of the stories that I do. Um, different versions, of course, um, but it's really nice to find stories that are harder to find and that people may genuinely not hear. And to reward longtime listeners with being able to unearth this kind of thing together. Uh, that's why when I do these, particularly these more obscure tales, uh, I'm very keen to hear if any of these are familiar to listeners who would have had an understanding or a knowledge of um, Irish mythology before listening to this, or maybe this was your gateway into Irish mythology, as it was kind of with me. It's it's what really stimulated me to really deepen my knowledge for this world and for my own cultures, folklore and mythology but I am thoroughly enjoying sharing these and adapting them and I hope you were enjoying listening them to them and looking at the looking at the recorder I've gone over time so um I will wrap things up here uh, but I hope you enjoyed this tale and as I hope you enjoy them all and um I won't keep you any longer uh, next week we will have a story about uh, Irish folklore again we'll have another another fairy folk tale um, and then the year, the week after that, we'll have another world tale, and um, we'll get a very definite plan for for Fireside for the next few months going forward. Now that I am finally back and in Ireland, as I said, if anyone is planning any trips to Dublin or to Ireland over the course of the summer, listen to the podcast, and you're interested and in, come see some live Irish music or some to be taken around the city and uh, hear about the history and the culture and the, and the literature of the city of Dublin. Uh, to do please get in touch it's always incredible to to meet um listeners to the, of the podcast and turn them into new friends um but i will all the usual ways you can follow me over on instagram you can buy my book garden see all the links are in the description below you can join headstuff plus at headstuffpodcast.com um i will see you all you'll hear me on next time and remember wherever you are and wherever you go you can always join me by the fireside This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.